0: So today we are continuing our way through the, the book of Galatians, this letter by the Apostle Paul. And so we, we find ourselves in chapter three. And so just a reminder of, of where we are, uh, that chapters one and two, Paul's saying, what is this, not just what is the central message of the gospel, but where does it come from? How is it authoritative? And so he, he talks about his own spiritual biography, that he received the message of Christianity through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then now in chapter 3, he's beginning to unpack what actually is the, the message of Christianity, this message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so if you have your Bible or the Pew Bible that's near you um, on one of the chairs, on the, in the Pew Bible actually, you can um, open to uh, page 9, 73, um, and, and look at, at chapter 3. And so, so a, f- a few weeks ago, we, we looked at, in verse 1 to 5, uh, Paul shows that every single blessing of the Christian life is received through faith, not works. And he showed that through the experience of the Galatians, saying, you know this. You know where you got the Holy Spirit. And then verse 6 to 9, he, he then begins to quote the Old Testament, looking at the Scripture and saying, well this this was true for Abraham that, that he was brought into relationship with God through faith not through the good deeds that he did or or through through ceremonies or or works. And then last week we looked at verse 10 to 14 and there Paul is driving this point home even more and is saying that actually if you rely on good deeds on ceremonies to be accepted by God that it doesn't bring the blessing of God but it actually brings a curse and that Jesus actually became a curse for us on the cross. And so today, then, he, he's really turning to, to teach us how to read the Bible, how to read and understand the Scripture. How is he getting this from the Old Testament? So, again, Galatians chapter 3, beginning of first, verse 15. And in the bulletin, it says that we'll be going through verse 22, but actually today we'll be at 15 through 18. To give a human example, brothers... Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we we ask that by your grace that the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, probably some of you know uh, TED Talks. Uh, you can sometimes you hear them on the radio, or you can watch them online. Uh, that it's t- technology, information, or entertainment and design. I think is the acronym. Um, and so I was, and they're about twenty minutes usually. And it's some thinker for different topics that that will present their ideas. And so I saw one uh, that was called "My Year of of Living Biblically." Um, and it was by a, a journalist named A.J. Jacobs. And so he's an editor for Esquire magazine. And he's a, he's a self-professed uh, agnostic. And it was actually kind of funny the, on the talk. He said that he is as Jewish as Olive Garden is Italian. So that was, so was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and so he, he was really concerned about people who take the Bible literally, who claim that it's from God. Um, and so he wanted to basically show the absurdity of trying to take the Bible seriously. And so he went on this quest to try to follow all of the rules in the Bible for a year. Um, and so he he got a stack of Bibles and different translations and began, uh, you know, trying to, to list all of the rules. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of rules in the Bible. So he, he came up with over... 700 rules, um, and a lot of them, of course, are in the first five books of the Bible, the the Torah, the the law of Moses. And um, these are some of the examples of some of the obscure ones that he points out in in his talk, that you shall not wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material, Leviticus 19.19. You shall not round off the hair of your temple or mar the edges of your beard. And so, of course, there's, there's many, many more like that. And so he, he, he said that for the marring of the beard, he didn't know what the edges of the beard was, so he just let his beard grow. And so he had pictures by the end. His beard was really long. Uh, he wore a robe around New York City. He, he rented a sheep uh, that he carried around with him. Um, and he, he said that he struggled with the, the one about um, stoning adulterers in the Old Testament, um, and, and so he carried around the little bag of pebbles, started talking to somebody who said that he was an adulterer, and he threw the little bag of pebbles at him, and didn't hurt him, obviously. Um, so obviously, so he this what he's saying is satirical. That's why he 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 did it. He was trying to make a point, but his conclusion is actually very very serious c- conclusion that, that he's saying that it's it's crazy to take the Bible literally, and he tried to, to show that the logical outcome of that as he saw it by trying to just apply all of the, the rules of the Bible. And so he actually said at the end of the TED Talk that, that we have to pick and choose in the Bible, that, that no one follows all the rules. Even the people who claim to follow all the rules don't actually follow all the rules. And so we should just ignore most of what the Bible says and just focus on the things that are good, like love and generosity and those kinds of things. So you know, as I was thinking about this, I mean, if you've been around Hope very long um, I hope that you you know that we take the Bible really seriously, that we believe it, it's God's word, that we believe it's authoritative, we believe it's truthful and inerrant in everything that God teaches about himself. That's why we, we preach through books of the Bible verse by verse, passage by passage. Um, that's why we try to have a, a worship service that's rich and saturated in Scripture and why we try to just conform everything that we do to Scripture. But if you, if you take what this A.J. Um, Jacobs is saying... And you look at, at me i don't I trim the edge of my my beard. I wear fabric with uh, mixed fibers. I eat pork, I have never stoned an adulterer, um, which I'm sure you're glad to know um, so but the Bible talks about those things, and so are we just picking and choosing? Are we taking scripture seriously and this is likely one of the accusations that the False teachers in Galatia were bringing against the Apostle Paul. That they were saying, all right, we take the Bible seriously. We actually try to follow the rules that are in the Old Testament, but here you are, you're, you're eating unclean foods with Gentiles. The Old Testament says you shouldn't do that. You're saying that people don't need to be circumcised in order to come into the, the covenant community, but the Old Testament clearly says that you need to be circumcised. And so it's Paul just Picking and choosing, is he just saying, I like this, I, I don't like this. And so really, that, that is where Paul's going in the, in the text today. But he does it through a pretty complex argument that even as I read it, you might have thought, all right, I'm not sure exactly what, what that's saying. Um, John, Pastor John Piper, uh, commenting on our text, this is what he says. He says, there's nothing in this passage that is immediately practical. Uh, if you live your life on the basis of spiritual pet pills that give immediate emotional charge and specific practical guidance, then you will have a hard time with the next 30 minutes. I thought that was funny. Hard time with the next 30 minutes. Um, but if you live your life on, the, on an ever-deepening basis of understanding the ways of God and Scripture, you will relish Paul's theology in these verses and seek to enlarge and, if necessary, correct the theological foundation of your life. So I think that, that Piper there is exactly right when he, he's saying that, that this can enlarge our understanding of Scripture, that it can, can deepen it, and maybe even change it or alter the ways that we, we read and understand Scripture. And so if you are a, a believer here, then, then you really need what Paul is saying in, in this passage, because as you read Scripture, how is it that you know what to, what to follow, what not to follow? How do you read and interpret the Bible as a whole? And if you're here and you're still skeptical about the truth claims of Christianity, then really it's the, the, the same thing, where uh, Jacobs, the, in his TED Talk, made a, some really serious mistakes in misunderstanding the Bible. So really what he rejected was a caricature of Christianity and, and Scripture, that he wasn't being intellectually honest about what the Bible actually says on its own terms. And so if we're going to reject Scripture... Or if we're going to ridicule it, then we should definitely at least understand what the Bible is saying if we read it as a whole and as an unfolding story of redemption. So, so what we'll do then is we'll, we'll, we're going to go just verse by verse through, through this passage. And each verse, the four verses, there is a, a principle for biblical interpretation, for understanding how we read Scripture, but especially how we read uh, laws and, and rules in the Old Testament. So the the first principle is, if you're going to understand the Bible, you need to know how covenants work. And so that's a surprising one of covenants, because probably some of us don't use even the word covenant on a regular basis. But if you uh, flip back to Galatians again, and look at verse 15, Paul says, "...to give a human example, brothers..." Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. So you, you can see here he, he talks about giving a human example. So that, that's just another way of him saying that this is a really practical day-to-day illustration of, a, of this idea from your life. And what, what, what he's saying is he's reminding his readers of the way that, that covenants work um, in their own experience, so that they can understand then how covenants work for the Scripture and in, in, in the Bible. And there's a, there's a lot of confusion about exactly w- what he's talking about among scholars. But scholars are always confused about everything um, and always having lots of theories. Um, but you know, some people say that that he that here he's he's talking about uh, an ancient Near Eastern covenant. So. At the time of, say, Abraham, people would make covenants. And it might be a a wealthy lord or king who would make it with a lesser vassal. Um, But the problem is that those kinds of covenants could actually be changed or annulled by the superior party in the agreement. And then also, that wouldn't be at all in the experience of the Galatians. It would be a different time and cultural context. And Paul seems to be giving more of an illustration for them of something that they actually know and understand. So I think that you know, what, what most people see that he's talking about is the actual Greek system of, of wills and, and testaments. So in, in Greece, which is different from Rome, but in Greece, if you made a, a will or you made some sort of a testament, a, a contract, that it, depending on how it was done, that it could be irrevocable. It could be where you cannot annul it, you can't add to it. And so that's what Paul is basically saying, all right, you, you know this, and this is what God's covenant promises are like in the Bible. You can't annul them, can't do away with them, you can't add to them once they have been ratified. And this is actually exactly what, what God says back in the Psalms. In Psalm 89, verse 34, he says, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. So he's saying, once I have made a covenant, once I have made a promise, um, I will not alter it. I'm not going to change it. That it is secure and held fast. And so this is an incredible, uh, I think, blessing for believers that that God's promises are fixed and and true, and that that there is as truthful as His character. That that God is is faithful and unchanging. That when He says something, He's not. Uh, fickle where he 's going to do one thing one day and do something another, and, and therefore we can actually trust him and, and rely on him whether things are hard or whether things are are good, knowing that he is the same so that 's the the first principle that Paul lays out is for us to understand this nature of a covenants but here 's the the second principle um, in the next verse he he says, well I'd rather if you're going to understand the Bible, you need to know that Christ is the main character of the biblical storyline, that Christ is the main character. So so look at verse 16. He says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So Paul, after giving us a sense of the nature of a covenant, he goes to one of the, the first and the most important covenants, that God made a covenant with Abraham. And we said, if you remember a few weeks ago, that Abraham was raised in a, a pagan home in Mesopotamia, and God called him out of that into the, the promised land of Canaan, and that he, he promised that, that he would give him an inheritance of, of the land, and that he would bless him, and that, that through him, all the nations would be, would be blessed. It's an incredible Promise. And actually, if you, if you turn back to, to Genesis in your Bible, to, to Genesis uh, chapter 13, beginning in verse 14, you, you actually see the, the promise. And, and Paul is actually quoting um, these verses, and it, they come up a couple times uh, in Genesis. Um, this is one of the places that he's quoting. So uh, verse 14 of chapter 13. God said, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. And so Paul then, is, he's picking up that word, offspring, and you see there in, in verse 15. And, and he begins to make a really big deal about the, that word. And actually, he's making a big deal about the fact that it's singular, not plural. And, and that, that God says, and I make this promise to you, Abraham, and to your offspring, not offsprings referring to many. And he says that that offspring that is the, the, the heir of the promise is, is Jesus Christ. And again, this is a place where we can get confused at, at first. Uh, because if you think about the word offspring, some translations say seed, um, if you were to go, say, to your family reunion and your, your grandfather was there and he, he was looking around at all everyone gathered and, and said, oh, it's just so great to see my offspring here, uh, you wouldn't then stop and say, well, well which one are you happy to, to see, you know, or... Uh, which, which one do you, do you like the, the best? You, or, or wait, do you mean offsprings? Are you referring to many or to one? Because in, in, in our language, it can refer to a group or it can refer to an individual, an offspring, many, or, or one. And it's exactly the same way, actually, in ancient Greek, ancient Hebrew, that that word has that kind of, of flexibility. And so some would say, well, maybe Paul didn't know that the word could mean that. But he, he, actually, it, he obviously does, because if you, if you flip back to the book of Galatians, just after our passage in verse 29 of chapter 3, he actually uses the word offspring to refer to Christians, to those who are counted as offspring through, through Jesus Christ. So just in one chapter, he's saying, here, offspring means one person. And here, offspring means many people. And so what is he, what is he talking about? Why is, why is this, he bringing out this kind of confusing distinction of, of a word? Uh, well, what, what, what he's getting at is that, that Jesus Christ, that as the, as the promised Messiah, he is the true offspring who the, the promises were made to. That when God said, I'm going to, to, to give you this land as an inheritance, I'm going to give it to your offspring, that it's not something, that promise is not something that each and every one of us here in this room receive independently on our own. That it's not that, that we just come to God and say, all right, I want to cash in your promise to Abraham on, on the basis of something that I've done, of some work or good thing that I've performed. But we, we come to that only through Jesus Christ. That, and the promise isn't just a plot of land in the Middle East somewhere. That the promise is bigger than that. It's the promise of inheriting the world, of inheriting a kingdom that Jesus took possession of in his life, his death, and his resurrection, sent into heaven, is sat down at the right hand of the Father in glory and coming again to judge the living and the dead. And so for us, if we want to become offspring, it's only through the offspring. <laughs> that, that it's only as we repent and trust in Jesus and that we are united to him that we become offsprings with him. And so everything in the Bible then comes and centers on Jesus. So that, this is why it's such an important interpretive lens, that if we're going to understand Scripture, we have to look at it through Jesus. And this is one of the places where A.J. Jacobs, in his quest to live biblically for a year, uh, went off the rails. Because he thought that he could just approach the Bible, approach the Old Testament, look at all of the rules, and just directly apply them to himself but he didn't realize or didn't pay attention to the fact that there's a promise even before the giving of the law, and that the promise of God is rooted not in something that is just us, but it's actually in Jesus Christ, that he is the the one who ultimately will fulfill that. And so if we're going to participate in those blessings, it's going to be in and through Christ. And this is actually exactly what what Jesus says um, after his resurrection. He appeared to some of the disciples on the Road to Emmaus, um, and, he, and this is in Luke 24. It says, And beginning with Moses, so the law, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so Jesus was able to take all the scriptures and say, This is all about me, that I'm the, the main character of the covenant. This, it's all pointing towards Christ. And so if we, if we leave him out of the mix, if we leave the promise of the, of the Messiah that's going to be fulfilled, we're going to end up in a strange place. So that's then the, the second principle of, of interpretation that we, we see here. And here, here's the third, that if you're going to understand the Bible, then you need to know the unfolding story of redemption, the unfolding story of the Bible. Because the Bible isn't just little rules individually, but there's actually this arc to, to Scripture as a whole. And look at this in, in verse 17. Oh, get back to Galatians. Galatians three seventeen. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise of void. And so here Paul's, he's getting into chronology of Old Testament history, where he's saying the promise was made to Abraham and to his offspring, and that was 2000 BC. So that's 4,000 years ago from us. And that that promise was then fulfilled in Jesus Christ 33 AD. So there's this, this span of making the promise and fulfillment of the promise. But in between that, there's this really significant biblical event. And that's when the people of Israel had become slaves in Egypt, and they, they cried out to the Lord. And so he, he delivered them, and through Moses, brought them through the Red Sea on dry land, brought them into the desert, to the foot of Mount Sinai, this mountain that was burning with fire in the holy presence of the Lord. And so there Moses received the, the law, and we'll see next week through the, the mediation of angels. Um, and that he then delivered that law to the the people of Israel. And so the false teachers in in Galatia, as they looked at the story of the Bible, they wanted to put that event as really the center of all of Bible history, that that's where you really know God, that's really where you know uh, what's up about how we're brought into relationship with him and how we have life and salvation. But then Paul... You know, saying that, yes, God gave that covenant. It's true. It's his word. But he, he wants us to see how it fits into the story of, of redemption. So he's saying, remember that the promise to Abraham was first, that, that 430 years from Abraham to the, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And therefore, the, the, that second covenant that God gave at, at Sinai, it doesn't annul it doesn't add to the covenant that had been previously ratified. So there he's, he's applying that, that analogy that he had mentioned earlier. And what, what he's, he's saying then basically is that the law, is, is, it's in this promise sandwich basically. You have, you have law, you have promise made before, promise fulfilled afterwards. And so if you're going to understand, if you're going to apply the law, you have to do it in light of the promise on, on all sides of it. And so you can think of it almost as a kind of unfolding tree. That, that if you have wood, if, it, if you have just a pile of sticks on the ground, that's the way it is to approach the Bible apart from the, the unfolding story. Uh, but if you ha- that's very different from a tree where you have the root. That's the, the God's promise to Abraham. And it comes up through this trunk that is the, the covenant at Sinai with Moses and the giving of the law. But at the top, it, it bears fruit and, and blossom. Um, that is God's fulfillment of his promise to Abraham. And so it, it all fits together and, and coheres. But you can also think about it even in, in terms of somebody's life, that if you want to understand who somebody is, you really need to know their, the story of their, of their life, how, not just individual little pieces, right? That you might say, okay, I know in this moment this person weighs 180 pounds, say. But just dangling out by itself, that doesn't mean very much. But if you knew, oh, okay, two years ago they weighed 350 pounds, like knowing the chronology of that and how it fits into their story, it would make a big difference to the way you think about just an isolated fact. Or if you say, oh, this person has a a doctorate degree, you might look at that differently if you knew that they were raised in extreme poverty or didn't have access to, to education. And that's because stories matter. And so they matter for our lives, they matter for relationships, and they matter if we're going to understand and apply Scripture, which is exactly what Paul is saying here. And so again, this is where that a, a, Jacob's in his quest to live biblically was, was going off the rails, where where he wasn't looking at the, the story, the unfolding of Scripture. And we can so often do the same thing, where we want to just pull this out here, or this out here, or we like this, or we... We don't like that. We forget, how does this fit into God's purposes from Genesis to to Revelation? So that then is the third principle of of biblical interpretation. And here's the the fourth and, and final, that if we're going to understand the Bible, that we need to know the difference between law and promise, the difference between law and promise. And we see this in verse 18. He says, for if the inheritance comes by the law... It no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So you see here, he's setting up this contrast, law and promise, that God's promise is where God says, um, I will do this. God's law is where he says, you must do this. And so in in his covenant to Abraham, he said, I will give you the land. I will give you the inheritance. I will bless you, and, and I will bless the nation's through you, that it's completely God's action. But then the the covenant of Mount Sinai was based on a different principle. It was that you must, you must do this. Thou shalt, thou shalt um, obey that it was conditional. So Abraham, unconditional, Sinai, conditional. And so, again, if we think about what actually has priority, what do you read, how do you read one in light of the other? How do you put these together? Because God gave both uh, law and promise you gave both I will and you must, but we must always understand it in terms of again the things we 've talked about the fact that the, the covenant is irrevocable that god 's not going to change the principles halfway through that the covenant is is secure and that it 's unfolding that it 's this tree that 's growing that that we have to know how where it comes in the and the process, and so we always interpret the you must, in light of the I will, because that, that's the way that God presented it. And you, you can think about this actually through just two little illustrations. So one is, say a father goes to his daughter and says, at 3.45 today, I promise you that we are going to go get ice cream. And, the, and you can get any flavor you want. It's going to be great. Um, and then about noon... The father says, oh, by the way, go up and clean your, your room. Um, and then it comes time to, to get ice cream, and the, the child still hasn't made the room. Then does the father say, well, you didn't clean your room, so we're not going to go get, get ice cream. Well, actually, if you think about it, that, that wouldn't really be very fair, because when the father made the promise. He said, I promise this is what I'm going to do. We're going to get ice cream. He. There was no ifs. There was no buts. It was this, this unconditional promise. And so it's not fair then later on to bring in a condition that wasn't there at the beginning. But then as a second illustration, if the father had said, all right, I'll, I'll buy you ice cream if you make your bed and clean up your room, and the child doesn't do it, then the father is not at all um, obligated based on the, the principles of that. And that, that's what Paul is saying, that, that when God made the promise, that it was, it was the, the first illustration that he, the, the "I promise to do this." And so when the "you must" comes later, that the fulfillment of the promise is not conditioned on that, which is such good news for, for you and me as well, that, that God's faithfulness to us, that it's not based on, uh, all right, did you, have you done it? Have you done enough?" To, to earn my favor, that it's really his unconditional promise to us, that, that he promises to keep and to fulfill for us. Of course, uh, you may then ask, well, why then did he give the law if, if it's sandwiched between promise? And you can see actually in verse 19, Paul says, why then the law? And we'll, we'll look at that next week because he'll, he'll unpack, okay, God still has a purpose for the law, but we, we don't have time to get into that today. But the, the thing that we really need to see and take home today is that, that again, Abrams, I'll, I, or sorry, um, Jacobs, he's sort of my foil today. I'll just keep re- referencing him. Um, that, that this is also where he went off, because he, off the rails, he saw the Bible and thought that the main thing about the Bible is rules. And he said, I listed all the rules, and I can't keep all the rules. And therefore, the Bible is absurd, and no one should take it seriously. But what the Bible itself says is, is you're right, that you can't keep all the rules, that that we can't observe all of the rules. But that is actually where where Christ comes in, because he is the one who actually can follow all the rules of the Bible, that, that Jesus is the only one who truly lived biblically. And he didn't just live biblically for one year, that he perfectly lived biblically for 33 years and fulfilled the promise and brought us the inheritance that we could never have secured on our own. And so if we want to become offsprings, it's as we repent and trust in Christ alone for everything and that we become sons and daughters through him who is the true son. And this is also the, the, the reality that we see in, in the Lord's Supper. That just here in this meal, we see the, the, the principles that we were talking about from the, from the covenant. That we said that, that a covenant is, is irrevocable. And, and Jesus, when he gave us this meal, said that this is the, the new covenant in my blood. As so we know that God's promises that are, are symbolized and sealed here... Are, are secure, that they're, um, they're unalterable, that they're not going to be annulled or, or done away with. And we have said as well that, that Jesus is at the center stage in the, in the story of the Bible, and that if you're going to understand Scripture, it's through Jesus. And what a, a better place to see Christ than, than here, where knowing that his, his body was broken, his, his blood was shed, that, that, that this is a, a Christ-centered meal. And we also said that, that you need to, to know the, the story of the Bible, the, the unfolding chronology of it. And so as we celebrate this every week, it actually frames us within God's story of redemption, that it points us to the past, that, that Christ has accomplished our redemption once and for all. But then it also always points us forward and to the fact that we will celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb with Christ. But then here we are, in the moment, celebrating it. So it's this, this celebration of past, present, and, and future together. And then finally, we, we said that, that, that we interpret Scripture through the lens of promise, not law, and that, that it's always the promise that frames the fact that we must do things. And so this, this meal isn't a you must, that, but it, it is an I will, that, that God, he, he promises that, that I I will bless you, that I give you this, that I give you my body and my life. And so this isn't some good work that we do for God to, to earn his, his, our salvation, but it's actually something that we receive as a gift. And so if you are, are here and, and you um, don't believe or if you're, uh, you're not sure what to do with Christ yet, we're, we're thankful you're here. Uh, but we would ask that you, you wait and that you, you watch the, the story unfold um, here but we wouldn't want you to go through the the motions of something that doesn't represent what you believe. And scripture also teaches that um, it could do spiritual harm to take this meal if you don't believe in Christ. And also, if you're here and and you uh, are beginning to say, I want to follow Christ, but you've never made that public by being baptized or being part of a church that preaches the gospel, again, wait, talk to me about what it looks like to, to follow Christ. If there are any small children, um, we, again, t- taking seriously what Scripture says, that we must discern Christ here, that we want them to, to understand what's going on. Uh, so we would ask that they, they wait until they could be interviewed by the, the elders of our, of our church. But then for the, for the rest, you can be the, the weak, the, those coming needed to be strengthened through, through God's I will, uh, that is, purchased through Christ. So uh, let's, before we, we take this... Uh, just read the Apostles' Creed together that is printed in your bulletin. And this is, again, this ancient statement of Christian belief that that frames what it is that we believe as we come to this meal.